0: Please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. come before You, we ask that as we look into the text of Your Holy Word, that by Your Holy Spirit, You would look into our hearts and search us so that there would be less of us and more of Christ in our lives. Sanctify us in Your truth. Your Word is true. And we pray for anyone who has joined us this afternoon, apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus, that You would, by Your grace, draw them to Yourself that they might, in hearing the salvation offered, receive it in trusting faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Standing with the eleven, it was Peter who lifted his voice and addressed those who had gathered in Jerusalem. It was his first sermon. One that penetrated deep because the people, upon hearing that word, they were cut to the heart. And He said to all those who are listening, He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. For the promise is for you and for all who are far off. The promise is for everyone whom the Lord calls to Himself. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 41 tells us this, So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I wonder what was going through Peter's mind that eventful and glorious day as he witnessed the salvation of thousands of men and women following his sermon. It wouldn't be far off to think that his thoughts were were brought back to the Sea of Galilee when his master ordered him to cast his nets from the boat for a second time. I don't think Peter ever forgot Jesus' object lesson. It was on the day of Pentecost in which he saw the words of his Lord come true in that he was a fisher of men. When we come to Luke chapter 5, we are brought to that living parable. An event in the life of Peter that would forever transform his life. Well, this story is very familiar to many of us. And as we look at this story, we can break it up into about three parts, which is fairly easy to see. And here's an outline for you. The first is Jesus' request. And we'll see that in verse 4 as he asked Peter to let down his net. The second is Peter's confession in verse 8. And there we'll ask as to why, why Peter responded the way he did. And the third is Jesus' commission in verse 10. What was the whole fishing experiment for? What was it all for? And so we have Jesus' request. Second is Peter's confession. And the third is Jesus' commission. Well, this episode concerning our Lord really begins not in the boat out on the sea, but by the shore as Luke tells us in verse 1 that Jesus was by the lake of Gennesaret, which was another name for the Sea of Galilee. But Gennesaret means, it means in the Hebrew, garden of the prince. Garden of the prince. And maybe there was a reason as to why Luke decided to call it that he's actually the only gospel writer out of all the gospel writers to refer to the sea of galilee with that name could it be that luke is thinking about isaiah's prophecy that we saw last lord's day in which the messiah god's anointed would be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace And if you were ever confused as to why the Son of God is called Everlasting Father there in Isaiah, it's not because the Son is the Father and the Father is the Son. We would be committing a grave Trinitarian error. The error, as we learned a few weeks ago on Thursday, the error of modalism where God is interchangeable in His persons. That's not what Isaiah 9 is saying. It's not making a reference as to the distinctions of the Trinity there. Rather, that the Messiah would be the Father of eternity. In reference not to God the Father, but to Adam, our human father. You see, we have a father in Adam who is in his sin, who in his sin became mortal. Yet here we have in Christ a Father who in bearing our likeness is everlasting. But not only is He everlasting Father, but He is Prince of Peace. And Luke may have been thinking about Isaiah chapter 9, in that the Prince of Peace had come in fulfillment of the Word to Gennesaret, to the garden of the Prince. Now Luke tells us that he was by the lake of Gennesaret preaching and teaching the Word of God. And that's not a surprise for us concerning the Lord's ministry. Notice prior to this story in chapter 4, verse 44, he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, it can't be emphasized enough that when the Son of God came down to us, that He spent the majority of His time preaching and teaching God's Word. That the manner in which He revealed Himself as to who He was and what He came to do was through the ministry of the Word. And so, if this was the primary ministry of the Lord Jesus, then in no doubt ought it to be the primary ministry of the church. And notice that the crowd, verse 1, was pressing in on him to hear that very Word. In other words, it wasn't so much that the people pressed in to hear the preacher, but to hear the Word. Even though this preacher was the very Word, the very Word of life, Luke makes it known that the crowd pressed in to hear the Word. And again, we shouldn't overlook that. Oftentimes we're more inclined to want to hear the preacher than to hear the Word. To be moved by His eloquence. To be charmed by His gifting. To be impressed with His delivery. But at the end of the day, whenever we gather to sit under the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, we do just that, church. To hear God's Word and no one else. And we have our personal favorites. I know I do. But we can oftentimes forget that when we come, we come not to listen to a person or a personality, but we come to hear the Word of God. Well, as Jesus was preaching by the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the audience, notice, exceeded the seating capacity. It was becoming too large of a crowd. And it was getting difficult for the people in the back to hear. He needed better amplification He needed some quality sound equipment here. And so Jesus, He decides to use the speakers there at His disposal, which was the very body of water next to Him. It's known that sound travels further over water than on land. Whenever I had to preside in the past, I would sometimes sing the doxology in the shower to practice And it was wonderful. But then, it wouldn't sound the same when I got to church. That's what water does to sound. Now Jesus, notice, He could have easily walked out onto the sea, stood upon the water to preach His message. But rather, notice, He looked to a disappointed fisherman by the wayside who was washing his nets after an unsuccessful night of work. Jesus, He asked Peter if He could make use of His boat. And notice here, there was a request before the request and that to use His vessel. And I imagine Peter, sure, no problem if it will help you. I'm done for the day. I think I can lend you a helping hand. Verse 3, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. As Jesus assembled his pulpit out on that water for the purpose of being heard by the multitude, notice here that Peter had the best seat in the house. He was right beside Jesus and able to hear him clearer than anyone else standing on that shore. But whether he was truly listening, we can't really say. We don't really know. You know, sometimes the message is, is right in front of us and it's so clear. Yeah, we don't see it. We don't see it when we become hard of hearing it. It enters audibly into our listening ears and yet nothing takes place in the heart. Nothing happens within the soul. And that could have been the case for Peter. He had been out all night only to come home empty-handed. It was a major Disappointment, possibly a financial setback. And it's because he needed he needed those fish. It was his livelihood. It's how he was going to be able to support his family. And so there he was in the boat with Jesus listening, but not really listening. Now there's something important for us to know about Jesus here. He was there by the Sea of Galilee to preach to the group of people that had gathered on the shore to hear him. His purpose was to provide for them the word for which they came to receive. And when the crowd grew larger, He made sure to care for them and to accommodate for them, which is why He adjusted the way He did. His attention was placed upon the multitude. But here's the thing. Peter was never out of His sight. Jesus' concern for Peter had not left. And what we discover about Jesus is this that you're never lost in the crowd where Jesus is concerned. He cares for us. And He cares for us ever so personally. It's the principle of the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus is willing to seek the one from the 99. And you see, Jesus knew exactly where Peter was and what Peter needed. Verse 4, And when He had finished speaking, He said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, how did Peter respond? How any fisherman in his position would respond. Verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. And you can just hear it in Peter's words I'm tired, Lord. It's been a long night. I'm exhausted. What I really need to do is get a good day's rest because I have to go back out to work tonight. I'm sorry, but you're a carpenter and I'm a fisherman. And fish are not like pieces of wood. You just can't carve them and chisel them as you please. You can't work with them as you seem fit. You have to catch them. And these fish just don't stand still like trees. You can't simply go up to them with an axe and chop them down whenever you feel like it. Fishing is different. And I know about fishing because that's the one thing that I do know. I may not be a scholar. I may not be a preacher like you, Jesus. But I've grown up fishing. My father taught me. And my father's father taught him. This is the one area that I really know what I'm doing. You can see Peter saying, you can't teach me anything about fish. That's the area of my competence, not yours. And what you're asking me to do, Jesus, this is rather foolish, you see. The fish in this lake, they, they don't rise in the bright sunlight where they can see you standing and waiting for them. The time to fish is at night. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to ask me to do this when the conditions are totally unfavorable. But more so. Lined up on that shore are people who are able to clearly see you as you taught. Well, they can see me. And they know I'm a fisherman. They know I'm an experienced fisherman. Are you really going to ask me to do this and turn myself into a laughing stock before them to try to fish now? Well, whatever Peter may have thought, And some of it may be conjecture. Peter replied, Master, we toiled all night and we caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. At your request, I will listen. And notice secondly here, came Peter's confession. But not before what happened next. Verse 6. And when they had done this, They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. It was the greatest catch these fishermen had ever experienced in all their years of fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Never had they ever brought in a haul like this. So large was this catch that Luke tells us that both boats After dividing the fish, both boats began to sink. Well, how did this happen? How did this happen? It was a miracle. The fish came to do the bidding of their Creator. Jesus was the Lord over that lake and He was Lord over those fish. And while there was hesitancy on the part of Peter, there was no hesitancy from the fish. This miracle Jesus performed as was the case of the demon and the fever, was by His simple word. It was by His word that the fish couldn't help but swim into that net. It was the Lord of nature working by His word. But notice, it was also by His word that Peter let down his net. Yes, there was some doubt on behalf of the fishermen. Yet he still obeyed. And we learn here what it means to take Jesus at His Word. Even if according to our own sensibilities and our own wisdom, we think to know what is best. The truth of the matter is this. Beloved, we don't. That as Christians, we must simply trust and obey. This is what it means to be a Christian. To submit to His Word. Well, I think the very crux though of this story comes in what happened After the catch. And it's the very manner in which Peter responded. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. Well, church, the real question that we need to ask this afternoon is this. Why did Peter respond the way in which he did? And we ask that because although we might be familiar with this story, what Peter did and what Peter said was not a logical response. A normal response would have been Lord, you've just provided me fish for the whole year. This is amazing. This is incredible. We need to open up a sushi restaurant. And yes, it was kosher to eat sashimi here. The amount of money I can make from this fish. Lord, if you keep this up, we can turn this into the most successful fishing business throughout all of Israel. I can provide for my family and also for the other disciples. Lord, I can give you whatever you need for your growing ministry. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord has provided. Yet notice where we find Peter. He was down on the floor weeping. In utter ruin. I am a sinful man. Leave me. He had spiritually come to the end of himself. Why? Why? It's because he knew Jesus was searching for him. Peter, I believe, had already been following Jesus. And I say that because he called him, notice in verse 5, he called him Master. Master, we toiled all night and we caught nothing. This wasn't the first time that he had encountered Jesus. And at this point, I think Peter had already seen enough of the Lord's ministry, but he wasn't fully sure. I believe he was committed to Jesus, but it was half-hearted. And it's not that Peter wasn't allowed to fish and work and to provide for his family, but he was doing it all on his own terms. Peter was following Jesus from a distance. And Jesus was looking for him and searching his heart. And when Jesus told him to lay down his nets, here was the thing. Jesus was speaking into the area of his life that he was most in the part of his life where he didn't need Jesus fishing was his thing and in it he was most self-sufficient and you see Jesus had shattered the very part of his life that he had not given over to the Lord and so when he pulled up that haul of fish after a long toiling night it wasn't the fish that he was broken over but the Full the full reality of two things Jesus' holiness and his own sinfulness and it devastated him. And you see, this is the the irresistible response of anyone who comes to see with clarity those two things. We read it today earlier. When Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, he said, woe is me, for I am lost. Job, when he beheld the holiness of God, he said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And here on the Sea of Galilee, Peter, he saw The terrifying holiness of His Master who be now confessed as Lord. Jesus was essentially saying to this fisherman, Peter, I am to be Lord over everything in your life. Everything in your life. And Peter in response, he realized the utter foolishness for living the way in which he did. Which is why he broke down. And which is why it all came out for him. And he's there on the floor at Jesus' knees weeping. And this is exactly where the Lord wanted him. And this is exactly where the Lord wants us. And And when we come to that place of broken despair, We only find that it's a result of His grace and His kindness. You see, it's His kindness, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that leads us to repentance. You see, this episode concerning Jesus and Peter is not necessarily about evangelizing to lost sinners. It's about realizing one's own lostness and depravity. This story is not so much about making disciples, but it's about becoming a disciple. It's about discipleship. About what it means to follow Jesus. That God is holy and I am not. And here's what Jesus was saying to Peter. If you're going to follow Me, you're going to have to follow Me in the areas in which you know better And you see, for us, there are areas in our lives in which we willingly admit that we need Jesus. We do. But we also need to understand that it's not the areas in which we think we're weak that the Lord wants from us, but the areas in which we think we're strong. The areas of our competence. The areas of our self-sufficiency. The areas of our pride. The areas of our independence the areas in our lives in which we think Jesus has no place and beloved isn't that thinking true of us in all the area of our lives it's so true what the lord wants from us is that in the whole of our lives we would submit to him and to his word and for that to happen like peter we must come we must come like peter to the end of ourselves, don't we? And see the holiness of Christ. Now, if we were to take a step back from this story, I want you to notice there's another story that is taking place here in Luke. And that's Theophilus. We can't forget about Theophilus. I imagine that Luke wanted to include this story to drive Theophilus to his knees because he too had his doubts he too was somewhat half-hearted in following jesus he too was committing to jesus only at his own convenience and luke wants to tell him you'll never truly come to jesus if you don't see jesus for who he really is and you won't know who he really is until you have a real sense of your sin." And Luke shows him what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that, church, because we can often forget what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it begins with what takes place in here. Not simply what we do. Well, notice Peter not only recognized Jesus' holiness... And his own sinfulness. But he said this. He said, he said, depart from me. Here was Peter wanting to run away from Jesus. And it's easy to understand why. He had every reason to be afraid. He had just been exposed to the holiness of God. He felt too guilty to be in the Lord's presence. He felt unworthy and undeserving to be where he was. He felt the deep sense of his own sinfulness. But Peter came to the wrong conclusion. When he saw what a sinner he was, he decided that there was no way for him to have any kind of relationship with Jesus at all. Rather than saying, depart from me, he should have said, Lord, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Even though he had every reason to be afraid. And notice, notice how Jesus responds, verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, verse 10, Do not be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid. You see, those very words reveal to us more of who Jesus is. That even though Peter, in his sin and in his guilt, wanted to run away in fear, Jesus, he says, Don't fear. Don't be afraid, Peter. This is why I'm here. This is why I came. To bring you close and to draw you close to God by reconciling sinners to God by my life and death and resurrection. This is why I'm here. This is why I came. Non-Christian, are you anywhere near this? Are you anywhere near this? Are you anywhere close, close to seeing those two things? Jesus' holiness and your own sinfulness. And can I ask you, are you terrified? Are you terrified? Though your sinful and guilty heart might want to push him away, you need to come to him. And hold on to Him. Asking for the forgiveness only He can offer. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But draw near to Him. Place your full trust in Him. Jesus said, those who come to Me, I will never, never cast out. Jesus never leaves a sinner who truly repents. And thus He didn't leave Peter. After Peter's confession, Jesus then gave him a commission as we come to the last part of our outline. Verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Following Peter's repentance, Jesus says to now serve Him. And what's significant here is that Jesus says from now on you will be catching men. From now on. This was a new calling, a new decisive direction for Peter's life. From this time forward, he would be an evangelist. He would herald the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this would be his full-time job. Now what was going to be his new occupation? We know it was no longer going to be catching fish. Because you see, when, when we catch fish, they die. Peter caught fish to sell to eat. He wasn't a sport fisherman like Pastor MJ and Pastor Eric. I get very sad when they catch big bass and they just throw it away in the lake. I'm like, why, bro? you got to bring that home. But I want you to see something here. The interesting word that Jesus uses for the word catching, the word catching here is that He really puts two words together. The verb to catch and the word for life. Zone in the Greek. And so, Peter, you're not going to be catching fish so that they come out of the water to die, but you'll be catching men who are dead that they might come alive, that they might live. What was Jesus calling Peter to do? Be a new kind of fisherman, one who rescues people from the deep sea of sin and to bring them safely to the shores of salvation. Now here's the thing, church. Here's the thing. You and I are called, in essence, to the same calling as Peter. Whether you're a software engineer, or whether you're a data analyst, or a mechanical engineer, or whatever software thing, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a student, whether you're retired, whether you're a pastor, each and every one of us are called to occupy ourselves in man fishing. And that to preach the Gospel wherever God may have us. Evangelism is a lot like fishing. A fisherman never knows what he's going to catch. The catch is up to the sovereignty of God. But if a fisherman refuses to let down his nets or to cast his rod... He will never catch anything at all. The same is true for us Christians. We are called to cast a wide net by talking to our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, our friends, our fellow students, those who we come in contact with and to tell them of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and His saving work on behalf of sinners. This includes inviting them to church, speaking to them about spiritual things, testifying about the goodness of God in your life, sharing the Gospel in every way that we can. This is our calling as a church. And this is our calling as Christians. And as we do these things, we trust in the sovereignty of God. Will we catch anything? Not always. And never by our own abilities. But whatever the results, God has called us to keep casting our gospel net because this is how He saves sinners. And here's His promise He will save them. Jesus told Peter, You will be, Peter, you will be catching men. And that promise has been given to us, His church. You see, the work of evangelism is never in vain. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Notice that they left everything with complete and willful abandonment. They they left their boats and fishing tackle on that shore. Well, you might say this. Well, they were just poor fishermen. They didn't really have very much. It wasn't really hard to leave everything, to leave their boats and their nets compared to what I have. It's not that hard. But the meaning of everything isn't quantitative, but it's qualitative. It wasn't the amount that they left that was significant, but it was the fact that they left it all. They left it with the intention of giving over the rights to their life, to Jesus as their Lord. Christians are those who have given up their selfish ambitions, their sinful pleasures, bitter grudges, precious idols, simply the right to live the way they want to live for the sake of Christ. But you might be asking, "Well, how is that possible? How is that possible with me? It was possible when Peter realized who was with him on that boat that morning. Because no one and nothing could compare with this holy and sovereign God, the Savior of all men. Beloved, I ask you, where where is your treasure? Rather, who? is your treasure. No man will ever be the loser for following Him. As we close, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, as we close. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 3. Actually, we'll go from verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is again another name of the Sea of Galilee. And He revealed Himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, And two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. Notice that following the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter went back to fishing. He went back to his old occupation. And how how does Jesus reveal Himself to Peter? By repeating the same miracle? And it's Peter who had almost drowned once before, once in the sea. Remember when he jumped out of the boat in an attempt to swim to Jesus and he began to drown? Which means Peter, he doesn't know how to swim. But beloved, our lives are not so different. We've made the decision to follow Jesus. But there are times in which we forget what it means to do so, correct? Yet despite our failures, we find... This is what we find about Jesus here in John chapter 21, that Jesus is patient with us. And He's patient with us to grow us and to make us more faithful disciples of our Lord. Church, would we be reminded this afternoon that we have decided to follow Jesus and to look to Him in trusting faith. Let's pray together. Gracious God in heaven, you are ever so gracious to call us to yourself and that to follow Jesus. We thank you for revealing Christ to us and in your kindness, leading us to repentance. We are undeserving of your love and your eternal care. But Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for possessing hearts that are often cold and apathetic. For caring more about the things of this world than the matters of the kingdom. For believing that we can live our lives apart from Your grace, that we can live in self-sufficiency. What proud sinners we are, Lord. We, like Isaiah, despise ourselves. Like Job, we repent in dust and ashes. And we thank You for the promise of Your Word that we ought not run away in fear of You, but draw ever near to You through Your Son who has redeemed us and rescued us from our guilt and our condemnation and our sin. Help us, Lord, to be more faithful disciples, not afraid nor ashamed to preach the gospel of Christ, but bold and unflinching. For You have many in this city. You have many in our lives whom You have called to Yourself. We look to You, holy God. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.